everybody. Welcome to Blast from the Past. And hello, Michael. <laughs> welcome. Welcome. Episode seven, Blast from the Past. Is it season three now? <laughs> because I guess I, I guess so. We had, yeah, we had a single episode season. Not doing too bad. Not doing too badly here. This is uh, you know fuck fuck a Netflix model. This is uh, we're we're gonna give you the content you need when you need it and nothing else. Like honestly, last episode uh, that was Jagged Alliance, and we had like a long break for those who just tuned in for the first time right now. And we had like a long break and didn't get to record episodes and then we recorded and then Michael was like spontaneously like, welcome to season two because we had this long break and now we're back. And I was like, you're, you're really optimistic here. <laughs> and it turned don't out over to promise, be that man. Yeah. I, I don't know how long we took since that. Uh, uh, I think like probably like half three a year months, or so. Three, I was going to say three or oh. four months, but maybe a little longer. Yeah. But, but I'm glad we're back. Like I honestly, when we decided to finally do another episode then i thought about this and it made me like it was one of these things that you like these thoughts that carry that you carry around with you and that out of nowhere make you like snort laugh just the <laughs> fact that we just once again like took like ages to make it but it's like that's that's what i like about this because it's like we we do this when we casually have time but because that's what it should be about and un right, unless we right. suddenly really explode um, you know, this is just about having a fun ca conversation. Which, hey, listen, if you if y'all yeah. want to hear us rant about classic games, you know, we're not we're not above it. I'm I'm totally ready to make just about anything my full time gig these days. Yeah, I guess we should uh, open a Patreon. So right, there we no, go. I, yeah. I don't want to do that. Yet. <laughs> like we have to establish some baseline first. Right. This is this is just this is fun. This is a nice outlet. Yeah. It's nice yeah. to have one thing not to stress about. Or to not feel that kind of pressure to be a content yeah. creator, yeah. Speaking of Patreon, you just started one, right? I do. I mean, we could we could save that for the end, but I did. Yeah, I've been, uh, you know, doing the making videos for a while now, and I figured that like it's mm. finally time for me to see if I can, uh, you know, escape the wheel of pain of having to work full time for a, a marketing company and uh, do this YouTube, you know, podcasting, whatever content creation thing full time. I would, I would really love to. So yeah, I've started a Patreon, patreon.com slash Michael Saba. Uh, it's actually going pretty well so far. I'm I'll, a lot further than I thought I would be considering it's only been out for like a week. Uh, so yeah, ch <laughs> check, check it out. And you know, let's, this is like uh, doing the spirit bomb in Dragon Ball Z. We're all kind of like putting our arms up so I can <laughs> uh, get the big ball of energy and defeat Frieza. So, you know, get, Help me, help yeah. assist me as I as I get the spirit bomb going. But I think it's it's nice. Like if you if you, uh, am not familiar with Michael's content, or if you have missed it because he released the video on, um, Kill a Kill, which is phenomenal. I think it's up there with your best videos that you've ever made. And oh, that's where shit, you basically man. launched. No, seriously. I mean, I, you know it's true. It's really good. Like you put all of it out there. Like real proud of L it, man. Literally, <laughs> I literally put all of it out there. Yeah. Yo. Uh, and um, like it's been it's been copyright struck and stricken, uh, it's yeah. basically stricken stroke it had a <laughs> copyright stroke <laughs> and now it's blocked so right now it's on vimeo and i would honestly say before we start talking about diablo check that video out Aww. and then we can talk about well thank diablo. you thank you i appreciate that yeah this hopefully is, yeah. The, the counter appeal has been filed the video may be rising from the ashes soon we'll see but uh yeah it, very much appreciated. Thank you. Yeah, best of luck. 
So let's let's talk about Diablo. Like yes. I'm really excited for getting into this one. Diablo. I mean, Stay a while and listen, my friend. We're exactly. ready to we're ready to dig into this one. So this this was interesting to me because I think we both were of a mind to play this game, but neither of us talked to each other about it. Mm-hmm. It just it got this GOG re-release recently. And I yes. think we both saw this news and we were thinking, all right, you know, time time to enjoy a, a literal blast from the past. Why not? And um, I think this really is a case on the radar for me. <laughs> yeah, um, we because uh, uh, we both talked about this. this is interesting. We both have the CD. We both have the original yeah. CD, but it's impossible yeah. to play in Windows 10. Or I guess there's some people have been able to get it work, but you need to download all sorts of crazy wrappers and it's convoluted. I tried for an hour. It's a hassle, yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't figure it out. So, okay, you want me to pay? It was on sale for like seven ninety nine on GOG. Sure, okay, I'll, I'll throw eight bucks your way to play this beloved game that I know is amazing. And uh, yeah, uh, and so we've both been uh, delving back into the labyrinth beneath Tristram, really, mm-hmm. really digging into this this very... Uh, not just classic i mean this is like genre defining this started a genre this started like a whole movement i mean it's one of the like i find it interesting that it's like where say genre defining like up until this day we call games diablo clones yes yes it's funny how there's like these these games with very distinctive recognizable names starting with d that have often like clones like doom clones right Mm. Mm. Yeah, we're getting somewhere here. But yeah, with Diablo. So here's the thing. Usually when we do these episodes, we usually start just explaining how does the game play, you know, for people who don't know what it's about, who have never played it, or just to refresh. And I, in general, I think that's a that's a good approach. But with Diablo, I'd like to take a little bit of a different approach because the game has such an interesting history in how it came together and how it arrived at exactly this monumentally genre-defining title that it became. So that's why I would like to start with a little bit of a short history segment of how did Diablo actually come together, because then we'll perfectly arrive at the actual gameplay. Uh, so before we before we launch into the history, one quick thing I, w- I was interested in, sure. in asking you is how did you first uh, discover or, or play this game or who gave it to you or, or bought it for you? Like, I'm wondering how this game came into your life. Um, I think that was because it was released, like published by Blizzard and, and produced by Blizzard North. Um, it was a Blizzard game, and Blizzard was already one of the developers that was like big time on the map. Mm-hmm. Like you would you would hear a lot about anything they had in the making. Like it was one of the things that was covered in in gaming news magazines like big time. Like this is the new Blizzard thing. Like Blizzard was until then that point known for their Warcraft series. Right. Not exclusively, right. like the the developer came together, like they did a lot of things before that, before they had also a different name, but we're going to go into that. And I remember reading about it like in newspaper articles and seeing previews and we all were already hyped for it. And there was just something about this game having like a much grimmer setting, like the visuals in the magazines just looked so atmospheric that me and my friends could not wait to get our hands on it. And I I actually do remember like um, the only store that sold PC games like really fresh that were just released was like one town further away. And I had to Mm -hmm, drive there mm -hmm. with a friend with a bike and get it. We were like (laughs) super hyped for it. Like we were like sweating when we arrived and sweating even more and then we <laughs> came back and put it in our drives and installed it and we're like I don't know, probably really smelly 
you know, kids sitting yeah, in front of yeah, the computer yeah. and just couldn't wait until we booted up. That was basically my history. How about that's how was it for you? That's an amazing memory. Yeah, I, I can recall <laughs> yeah. seeing uh, screenshots of it in I think it was either like Electronic Gaming Monthly or PC Gamer. And just, uh -huh. you know, seeing exactly this looked so grim. It looked so atmospheric, you know. But the thing was, is that, like, my parents were cool with me paying, playing video games, but they didn't, they weren't cool with, like, the really dark and disturbing stuff. Like, oh. they definitely, they definitely were not uh, all about their son playing Doom and all that. So this was, I had an older relative, so they would not have got this game for me. You know, I think I was, like, nine or ten when this game came out. Okay. And, um... So they would not have got this for me on my own, but I had an older relative. This was the same older relative who introduced me to Doom, you know, when I was like seven years old, messed me up for life. Like I was way too young to be playing that game. But yeah, he. That's, I talk about this in one of the videos I did on Doom. Um, but yeah, yeah, uh, it really like, you know, made me a weirdo permanently. And so then, yeah, I remember being over at his house, this older cousin of mine, watching him play, just literally seeing the portal to hell opening on the computer and thinking, oh my God, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like, I need to play this game now. And uh, yeah, he, he let me have it. He let me borrow it. And so thus, thus began a, a lifelong love affair. I, I don't know what else to call it. That's so interesting that kind of put this to attention to me that actually like there's another real um close connection to doom again that i didn't even see before but it was also like a little bit of a remnant of the satanic panic oh and, yeah I mean, Diablo with yeah. its with its you know kind of christian inspired like it's not really christian but it's like definitely christian coded satanic it's, it's like a kind of like a, a teutonic medieval grim yeah. forest kind of uh, central european germanic kind of thing yeah and you definitely have some devil worshiping themes going on in that game and that also really taps into this rebellious oh, attitude yeah. of like yeah. you know young gamers at the time that just wanted to you know be edgy and cool with playing like the dark stuff that's oh, not yeah. supposed to like yeah. like in your case you were not supposed to play this game right just the fact that my parents didn't want me to do it made it like well now i gotta see what this shit's about like you're gonna yeah. tell me i can't do it uh-uh no way <laughs> so i got like a little bit written down so always feel free to chime in so we, sure. we talked a little bit about it before and um I think Michael wasn't aware of some of the really cool facts of this game's history. I find this history very fascinating. So what's known to most people is that Blizzard is the studio that made Diablo, but it's, you know, technically it's actually Blizzard North, which was not the same developer that also made Warcraft and Co. But it was a different studio that originally was like a software developer and like a clip art collection developer huh. like a really going from project to project studio that was founded by david brevik which is like probably the most prominent name in in combination with diablo david brevik actually today a day of recording just released a new game on steam which oh. is kind of like a like a it's always described as a hybrid between or like a marriage between a terraria and diablo and it's like totally his passion project and he's still fully in that really huh. uh, recommendable yeah and the game is called it lurks below it just came out and i, I played it in early access and it's, it's actually really fun but yeah let's not sidetrack david Bre brevik is one of the founders and i think they're germans like erich and max schaefer sounds pretty german like three yeah. people founded the company condor in 19 1993 yeah and um they were making a commissioned 
game for the Japanese publisher Sunsoft, which was called, which was a fighting game, like a DC Universe fighting game called Justice League Task Force. That came out in 1995, and they developed the Sega Genesis version of the game. Hmm. So what they didn't know is that at the same time, another studio developed an SNES version from them, completely independent of them, but also tasked by Sunsoft, but they just didn't tell them. And that studio was Silicon and Synapse. And Silicon and Synapse uh, is the studio that would become Blizzard later. That's right. And when they met at a con at some point, they talked and found out, hey, we're working on the same game for the same publisher. So that's where they their contact <laughs> first Wow, what a way to find out. Oh, my gosh. It's really funny. It's At that point, Diablo didn't yet come together, but that's where like David Brevik and I think it was Bill Roper first met. Bill Roper is still like a chief figure in at, at blizzard and um after this like david brevik there's, there's a really good game developers conference uh, post-mortem on diablo where david brevik talks a lot about this and um he had a game concept in his drawer that it's actually publicly available the original concept for diablo and he always wanted to make this game which was strongly inspired by by moria like, Moria is basically a roguelike. Yep, 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 yep. That is, you know, based on Lord of the Rings, I think, without a license. Or that kind of simulates a little bit of going down into the mines of Moria. And one it's, of the things. It's an evolution it of NetHack, right? Like, it's someone took yes. uh, NetHack as a base and basically just gave it a Lord of the Rings skin. Exactly. Uh, Bill Roper, I actually have a quote here from Bill Roper. Blizzard's Bill Roper said that the initial pitch for this game in a nutshell was to take the excitement and randomness of games like Moria, NetHack and Roke and bring them to 1990s with fantastic graphics and sound. There it is. Um, Sounds quite flashy. And interestingly also in in the design document you could see what kind of graphical blueprint Brevik had in mind for Diablo, which was like a very uh, 2D isometric view and he just literally took a screenshot from XCOM like the original turn-based strategy game mm-hmm. and said yeah this is how it's gonna look like he didn't <laughs> it'll even, be something you know, like this yeah didn't even fuss not even something he said this is how it's gonna look just just gothic and grimdark <laughs> so and there were two other very interesting features that he had in mind for this game first of all it was initially planned as a turn-based strategy game not as a real-time strategy game. And we're going to get to that bit in a little bit. Um, the second thing is he definitely 100% wanted to have permadeath in this game. That was Ooh. his absolute thing. Very taken from Morian, that hack, Rogue, mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, which did not fully end up being in Diablo. It was like, became an optional thing for later on, but the main game did not end up to be permadeath. And the third mechanic that he had in mind for Diablo was that he wanted this game, he saw like games like Magic the Gathering, uh, like trading card games, and saw how these booster packs worked. And his idea for Diablo was you go down into this dungeon and you do your thing, you have your base game, but then you can actually buy booster packs that are more like, they really work more like in trading card games where you get like a few random items that are gonna be added to your um, to your stash, to your selection. And then with that, you can enhance your own dungeon over time and it grows and it procedurally generates like more elements over time. So that was his original concept for Diablo. Quite fascinating to think that this was all thrown out 
if you think about it. All these things wow. that he said that was defining for my game, the <coughs> permadeath, the very, very accurate turn-based strategy element, and this kind of early loot box system almost. Yeah, All none of that actually made it in. None of that made it in, right? I mean, I guess you booster packs in the sense that, like, every enemy was kind of like its own booster pack. You know, maybe you'll get something good, maybe it'll be junk, or, you know, maybe it'll just be currency, but, like, most enemies will drop something for you. So, like, you did... You got kind of like a rudimentary version of that. True. But but what he was more thinking about was more like ex like kind of like a mini expansion packs of actual content to add to the dungeons and more enemy yeah, yeah, types yeah. that can... So that everybody has kind of a very random experience. And you, you, that's true, actually, that every run through Diablo is different. Like, that's it, it kind of prevailed a little bit in that because it's very, it's very procedurally generated. We're going to talk about that later. So, okay, mm -hmm. let's get to when the game was made. Um, so they started developing Diablo while they were making other projects to finance the, the company. And then they had like a little bit of a you know, of a prototype going and tried to get funding for it. And then in the end, they actually got the two companies uh, like to say, we're going to fund this game. One of these companies was Blizzard, right? That came together. And the other was the 3DO company that back in the, they made like this 3DO home console. And they wanted mm -hmm. Diablo to be mm -hmm. one of their leading titles on the platform to, to boost this thing out. And 3DO actually offered them twice the amount of money but David Brevet said, we went with Blizzard because the chemistry worked better. They seemed to understand what we were doing, and he was so into his artistic vision that he rather wanted to work with people who understood his vision than people who gave them twice the amount of money. Mm -hmm. Quite, like, it, it's really in character with him. Like, if you, if you see how this guy is still today, like, he's one of those developers, like, with his current game, he's constantly in Steam forums and everywhere, talking with everybody and really close with the community and never, rarely doing the decisions that are, like, big, strong business decisions, but decisions that feel like he's somebody who loves his games and wants to, them to be as perfect as possible. Like in this GDC talk of David Brevik, he also talks about how, what a bad businessman he is as an idea that when they had Condor still, they were, um, he was approached by a good friend of him who asked him that he told him he wanted to do a startup. And uh, his startup idea was to make a company that provides a service for sending emails via internet. Uh -huh. That was back in 1996. Uh, and I think I know where all this he going. wanted. Yeah, all he wanted for this was to say, like, I, all I need is just a desk in your studio and you'll get 10% of my company. That's the deal that I can offer. And Brevik said, like, dude, that's the worst idea I've ever heard and just refused <laughs> outright. So, like, that has no future. And that company became Hotmail. So, damn. <laughs> really funny story in that way. So, you gave up an easy 10%, man. Dang. Right. So one thing I'd I'd be interested in hearing if this because you've clearly done a lot of research like there's clearly like you've got you've got the deep lore here Ragnar like I gotta bow down and respect like you've really got the deep lore when it comes to the creation <laughs> I'm just of this nerdy game. about but this. <laughs> one one thing I'd be curious to see if this came up at all during your research yeah. was influence from 
uh, the Legend of Zelda series, because to me, mm. when I first kind of glommed on to Diablo, that point of comparison kind of seemed really ready to me. Like that seemed immediate to me. Like I remember like when I first played Diablo, I'm like, this is like a grimdark and a little more arcadey version of like Link to the Past, basically, huh. you know, like it's it's kind of more realistic looking, but kind of like the emphasis on action, on exploration, there's keys and traps and treasure and all that. And you've got to just keep going deeper and deeper in these dungeons. Like there was a lot of similar stuff there. And it always seemed to me that like, this was always a very easy point of like inspiration and comparison. I just wonder if you ever felt that or if you ever, if you came across anything about this, like in your research. In fact, no to both answers. Like I've never, like yeah. I can totally see the comparison. It 100% makes sense. And thinking about it, it's also like even this grimdark bit, like Link to the Past, I played good couple of years before <coughs> Diablo. And at the time, you know, I was even more impressionable as a young uh, cub. <laughs> and uh, like the dark world of Zelda really always gave me a very similar uneasy oh, yeah. fright feel than than Diablo's Tristram and Ruins and none Everything's all messed up and twisted. The hairs on the back of your neck are standing up because you understand I'm in danger now. Like, this is a dangerous place. Maybe I shouldn't even be here. And also, like, the sadness and hopelessness of everything. That's something that yeah. prevails, like, both. There's this, this air of, man, this is just, I just feel bad for everybody, you know? Yeah, very, very melancholy in the in the same way that, you know, Tristram and, and, and the catacombs themselves have this very, like, haunting melancholy to them. Yeah, I don't know. I, I really loved the older Zelda games growing up. And so that that just always seemed to me like, okay, this is like an American take on Zelda. I And I, it's it's interesting because, like, I've never... I don't see that. This is I got a, another video essay brewing, right? I feel like I got to take down some notes as I'm as I'm jabbering here because here we go. Here's another video essay that I need to put in my back pocket. But yeah, that always just seemed like it always seemed clear to me that the the developers would have been influenced in some way by the Zelda series and similar series. I mean, how would you not, right? In my research, I did not find any open statements like yes, this was also one of the things that that made me do Diablo. But you know, why not? Because like Zelda was like. How could you not have played Zelda at the time? It was like one of the yeah, or things, or like right? I think you know pr probably Doom as well. Doom was obviously an influence. Like the people who developed Diablo obviously played Doom, and even if they don't cite it as like a direct influence, you can tell it like came up during that milieu in the '90s. I think these are both like games that are so un like they're not just genre defining; they're like video game history defining. You know, like a Doom. I mean, it's, there's also. Z the, tide, the term Zelda clones that is also being used. They're all games that have such a massive impact that it's almost near impossible to feel the ripples of their impact in your own game development. Like even around a corner, like let's say you develop a game kind of like Diablo in, I don't know, 2000 or something, kind of like a action-adventure RPG type game, and you've never played Zelda, but still mm -hmm. you would feel mm -hmm. the impact of these games in your development th through other titles that were already influenced. So I feel like there's almost no way around being in some way influenced by these kinds of titles. But, well, I mean, <laughs> I personally don't think that's, that's a good segue back to the loop of the history. I, I personally don't think that Brevik directly with his idea for Diablo was influenced by Zelda because as I said, it was, uh, Right. Considered right, right. like it was meant to be a turn-based strategy game. And that's also one of the most interesting tidbits of the development history, like how the real-time aspect came together. Because David Brevik's idea was to right. make a 
turn-based RPG yeah, combat yeah. game, like similar to something like XCOM. And his idea for the turn-based combat was to have it extremely meticulous, especially when it comes to like the timings. Like everything you do is meticulously timed for action points. Usually these action points are like very rough estimates as to how long does it take to swing a sword, how long does it take to heal you or something. It's more balanced for gameplay accuracy. And in this game it was like really precise, a really precise system that accurately um, portrayed all the actions of enemies and your character so that it was mm -hmm. under the hood technically already kind of very real-timey you know so and then at some point in development blizzard came and looked at it and said this is awesome we'll take everything the only thing right. is right, this right. needs to be real time because blizzard was like on this re real time train they had real time strategy with warcraft they had everything was going re real time and Brevik was against it, and he like, was for a long time was like, no, 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 this is, I'll, I'll, I'll stick to my guns. But Blizzard remained adamant, and then at some point there was like this legendary moment where he said like, okay, I'm gonna put it to the vote, in my team, because my team has to decide. Democracy, oh no. <laughs> Democracy, I'll ask my team, and if they're not, you know, at least 50% for um, real time, then we'll keep doing what we wanna do. And apparently it turned out that literally the entire team voted real-time, except for Brevik. Damn. Oh, that <laughs> must have been crushing. Oh. <laughs> and he was like, huh, guess there's something to it. So he <laughs> talked to Blizzard and said, listen, this is going to take time. This is a huge thing. I really need a lot of time for this. But as I said, because then he said, like, I sat down one Sunday afternoon, and because all these timings were already so perfect, it took him, apparently, that's what he said, two hours to implement it. Like, apparently, it was wow. almost just, just done with a snap. A couple changes in the lines of code, boop, boop, boop. Yeah, and there was, like, this legendary story where he tells, like, and then I let it run, and then there was this skeleton, and I clicked on it, and I smashed it down, and it fell, and everything worked, and I was like, whoa! this is a new genre. Like, this is how he tells a story. That was this, this magic moment of a, a new genre was born this very moment. He felt it, the repercussions. The, of the genuine light bulb going off moment, yeah. The rest is history, basically. Huh? And if you think about that, so many of these decisions, there were, there were so many like hair-thin decisions right. that made Diablo into what it is today. And each of these, wouldn't they have been in there it would probably have not become the big, massive success that it became. Like, if that would have been on the 3DO, Diablo wouldn't be such a massive impact on video game history today, you know? Absolutely. And, yeah. and there we are, in real time. And, um, and Diablo came out in 1995, and it was an instant financial commercial, critical, fan smash hit. Like, Diablo was at in that year the most sold game ever in 1995. Was it 95 or 96? I thought it was 96. 96, you're right. It was actually, no. So it was December 31st, 1996. So it can definitely, like, if it would have made the most oh, wow. sold game in 1996, well, that would have been really impressive. So it was the <laughs> most sold game in uh, of all time in the year 1997. So very, very impressive. And um, that's the point where you can say like, how does it actually play? Like, let's go let's go into yeah, it. And yeah. I'm gonna leave the stage to you because I already rambled 
for sure half an hour. yeah well i mean so but this is this is kind of like a good segue to what i was talking segue back carrying along what i was talking about before because it sounds like with everything we've discussed the um you know uh this about it being coming up in the milieu of uh, zelda and everything like with that genre rising in popularity they probably looked at that and that was part of the inspiration that made blizzard say you know okay we need to move this to real time or that made you know the team members might have been playing these games which made them so gung-ho on the idea of real time but so that is you know as i guess as bravik discovered like he stumbled upon this formula i you know it's it's a total like clicker of a game i guess but just this combination of real time and action like it's so visceral it's so immediate and i think like it's you know all of these games so many all games are like real time now nobody makes turn-based games anymore practically that are they're an extremely niche yeah it's genre, a niche genre, you know yeah. everything happens in real time but at the time for a game that has all this like action rpg stuff like nobody had really done what diablo was doing the quality of the presentation the level of customization, the the graphics, uh, the effects, you know, uh, the immediacy of the controls and the way everything kind of felt good was responsive. The sound was great. The music was great. Just the whole the gestalt, the complete package. Like this was really a game that established Blizzard and Blizzard North as kind of like these paragons of the industry. You know, I think Blizzard has kind of fallen out of favor recently, but there was a time when Blizzard was the dang Pixar of video games. There was also a time when yeah. Pixar was the Pixar of CGI movies, <laughs> but let's not let's not get into that. Well, Bl Blizzard was one of those developers where you would buy a game of Blizzard without Right. Just asking. not even knowing anything about the game. If you see the Blizzard logo, that's yeah. okay. I know it's this is absolute be a good quality game. seal. Yeah. Uh, and so the, it, uh, that absolutely held true for Diablo. Like, again, this game is a revelation. It's hard to overstate, you know, just playing something like this for the first time, having never experienced this kind of game before. Like, you really felt like, oh, my God, this is the future of video games. Like, I'm really living in the... Th there's a generational shift going on here, and I'm, like, living in the future. It really, it really had that element to it. And it's interesting now to, to look back on feeling that way because, you know, when we replay it, we can see that, like, it's a lot more simple and maybe even a little crude and rudimentary than we remember. But, you know, it's you you literally you control a character with your mouse. You really only need to use your mouse if you want to. You don't the keyboard shortcuts help massively, but you can play it just with your mouse if you want to. You click to move your character around the screen and you click on enemies to attack and you click to pick up stuff on the ground. That is that's basically it, you know, and, and you it's right very quick to shoot and right. And you, spell. you right or right click to cast spells and. You know, that's you you go as far as you can, you dive down into the labyrinth and go as far as you can, and then you come back to the surface and, you know, sell your extra treasure and upgrade your equipment and repair and get more potions and scrolls and whatnot for the next journey down, and then you go again and repeat the loop. And, you know, this is, I know we both talked about this, but I was so struck by the fact that, like, oh my God, here it is. It's the same gameplay loop I've been doing since, goddamn, 1996. It's Borderlands, it's Diablo, or not Diablo, it's certainly the later Diablo games. It's Destiny, uh, you know, it was the, the recent Shadow Warrior game. Like, uh, here, here it is, the, the, the action looter, the loot and shooter, like, this formula, here it is, like, the, the pure crystal meth you know incarnation in it's like purest primal form i love it I, I can't say enough nice things about it which is interesting like because when we talk about this type of genre um and I, we're gonna go into that in a little more detail but i'm gonna say this up front i personally i'm yeah i'm of the camp that diablo one is still 
to me the best Diablo. And uh, roundly has, agreed. Roundly yeah. agreed. Yeah, yeah. We both, we both, came, like independently, we were like, so uh, I think this actually might be the best Diablo, thinking that we're yeah. about to like blow each other's minds, and it's like, you know, what? total agreement, total agreement here. Well, here's the thing. Like, we're not gonna talk about Diablo two in big length now, but there's a certain reason why Diablo one just works better for me because I can. 100% empathize with people who say that, for example, Diablo 2 is the better game. Because in many ways, factually or objectively, if that something like that can be said, it is the better crafted game in many ways. But Diablo 1 still f had this formula of the looter, you know, of the going down into the dungeon, going back into the town, selling yep, stuff, yep. collecting stuff. This, this type of gameplay loop, Diablo established that, and Diablo was... Um, not as hyper-focused on it. Diablo was much more minimalistic in its approach and that works much better for me because the later games more and more went into... It was all this... about the loot and it was all about the wacky skills you get from the loot. That became the game. It be To me, Diablo 2 and a lot of games that come after that don't work for me anymore. Like you, you said games like um, Borderlands something, right? A lot of people have lots of fun with it and I can understand it. But to me, these games feel like slot machines. Oh, they yeah. feel like a one-armed bandit. You, you go in, you get your loot, you get your random drop, uh, you sell what you don't need, you go back in. There's always this random element and it feels like gambling. And that is on purpose. Like... After Diablo 1, Blizzard took this formula and distinctively focused strongly on this aspect and, and really, really invested into making this more addictive, more compulsive, uh, which is also something that strongly influenced later on World of Warcraft, which made World of Warcraft mm -hmm, that combined mm -hmm. with a big social component into like one of the most addictive World games. World-eating juggernaut, yeah. Yeah. But you know what? Let's let's stay in Tristram. Let's go at it from the very bottom. Like let's get those get those guitar guitar jangles, guitar tones boots coming on in. the ground. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, Tristram. Like, how does Diablo start? Get you into the town of Tristram? How does this game start out? What's the? How does it start out, Michael? Give us a rundown. How do you start a match of Diablo? Uh, so you first you got to figure out if you want to play solo or if you want to play uh, online. Um, because right. this was a, one of the very first games, uh, you know, after Warcraft that really blazed a trail for Battle.net so you could play with up to four players cooperatively, which was so damn fun. Uh, but so, yeah, you're at a menu and you can either start a single player game or a multiplayer game. But, you know, immediately got very spooky. We've got red, blood red pentagrams, inverted pentagrams rotating on either side of what your selector is, you know. And so then you start game and then you, you are given a choice, the classic triptych that classic triad yes. <laughs> of the fantasy gaming experience choose your adventure do you want to be a fighter do you want to be a mage or do you want to be a rogue i mean they're named different things but like the classic yeah, triad you have to, you have to warrior choose. rogue and sorcerer i think yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah. and so yeah you uh you basically you choose what you want to be i know uh, i went i went rogue this time around gotta mm -hmm. gotta give it up for strong female characters right um yes so yeah so you select your class and then you launch into the game and you're given a very brief uh, cutscene, which, you know, was still like the Blizz again, Blizzard was like up there with Square in terms of like, whoa, you're going to get some real high quality oh, yeah. CGI when you buy a Blizzard game. Mm -hmm. You're just immediately launched 
right into Tristram. It's like you're just dropped right in the thick Let of me it. Uh, stop there real quick because sure, there's sure. like two things I want to remark that I found quite interesting upon replaying that never occurred to me before. It was typical. You start Diablo, you choose mage, warrior, rogue. But there's no character creation. There's no, oh, right, distribute right. some character points like in every D&D game before, which is still something that puts me off if I want to play old games like, um, I don't know, Pool of Radiance or something like that. I'm like, oh man, an old D&D game. I gotta look up awesome. a character guide. Uh. And then you start it and then you have to distribute all these points, you know, without even knowing what's expecting you. In Diablo, you select it and boom, the game starts. Which was They just get you right into it. No messing around. You're not fiddling with the character sheet for an hour. Yeah, you just launch right into the action. And that was another thing that Brevik didn't have in mind like that. Like, that was another mm. thing where, where, Diablo, where Diablo, Blizzard came in and said, ease it down. And I think that's a lot of... That's where a lot of the appeal from Diablo comes from. Diablo is so minimalistic and straightforward and reduced to the absolute necessary but in a way that it feels like all the elements that are in there they need to be in there there's absolutely no bs there's no fat on the meat it's just all just pure like everything it needs to be and nothing else it's extremely sleek yeah and yeah that that render sequence that gives you a little bit of an you know of an air for me this feels like something that you could see like in a in a, I don't know, in a music video of a Swedish metal band or something. Right, like the yeah, imagery, yeah. You see like, you see like a, like a crow a from up close, yeah. yeah. And, and like a sword on a, on a hill in front of like a, like a sundown or something and like a misty town and like, then like a, a dead doors. body rotting in, a, in the corner of an abandoned house. Like it, it's not like Super a big cool. epic battle, good versus evil kind of thing. Like it's very grim, very gothic. There's a real horror element to it, you know, right from the get-go. This game really played up the spooky vibes. This is an extremely, oh, turn the lights down, you know, light some candles, get a nice pair of headphones on. This is an extremely spooky game, y'all, like if you let yourself get lost in it. And this, it was especially like back in that time when um, the atmosphere through the presentation just just shined, and it still does. I think it also has it has a lot to do with the visual and especially the sound design. I'm gonna get into that a little bit later, but yeah, let's arrive at Tristram. Like after the after the cutscene, your character suddenly stands there in isometric view. The iconic Tristram theme by Matt Illman starts mm -hmm. playing. That gives such a wonderful, nice home feeling in the background and then you have your your character you start clicking intuitively and the character walks where you click and you hear like the, the, the iconic tap 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 walk <laughs> sounds you know yeah. it's it's all I, i'm getting shivers just talking about this you right know, just thinking a, about it yeah this game oozes atmosphere and then you enter this town it's like really desolate everything is like a gray and gray like a few houses and it all looks like village in the middle of nowhere it just a place of seemingly no importance just a small little village in the forest completely you know abandoned and then you talk with a few people that are left in this town you know like there's there's like the the blacksmith um there's the the innkeeper, there's like this old wise man standing in front of a, um, in front of a, a well, like a, like yeah, a spring like a, like kind a, of. Like a, like a well kind of, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, you have like this, this 
town drunk that's sitting there in a, behind a house and is like really in despair and, and really gone mad for some reason you find mm -hmm. out later and like the the amputated boy like the peg-legged boy like all these these characters they're they're so iconic the, the witch so in her hut on the outskirts of town yes. oh yeah 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 so you start talking around town and you know immediately you get wind of some tragedy has befalling there are demons that have come pouring out of this nearby cathedral and they're you know abducting people dragging them down into a, the labyrinth beneath the cathedral and ravaging the countryside setting fire to all the local towns you know just hell has clearly been unleashed and you know these poor townspeople talk about how oh you know we tried to uh, you know send some some people to go down and find the missing villagers and fight back against these demons and our the town priest led them down there but they were all lost and we haven't the archbishop lazarus yeah. and yeah 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 we <laughs> haven't we haven't heard from them and yeah oh, oh no, that's not true they actually came back just a few oh, a couple, survivors a couple of them came, came back. back. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And they yeah. were like, oh my God, the horrors we saw down there. Like, right, because the right, town right. drunk is, he turned to the bottle because he could not bear could the not madness that he saw the, yeah, down yeah. there. So you get like this foreshadowing of what's going on under this cathedral. Something horrible must be going on, right? Um, and so, yeah, everybody in the town directs you like, oh, you've got to go. Go to the cathedral on the outskirts of town. Brave adventurer, you know, like see if you can try to pl plumb the depths. And I guess you you're, you come to understand that for whatever reason, you know, your character was drawn here and you can kind of like role play. I think the manual had like the different motivations for each of the characters. You know, the wizard was seeking knowledge and the rogue mm -hmm. was what was it? The the sisters of the sightless eye. You know, she was an yes. agent dispatched by this coven of like female assassins. So each of the characters has like their own interesting reason for being there. Yeah, that that all gets tied up in in Diablo two actually. It's quite interesting. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, at some point you decide, okay, I'm gonna approach this cathedral because in town there is never any combat. It feels safe and it has like a little bit of this air of um feeling safe yet uneasy. Like it always reminds me a little bit of like the save rooms in Super Metroid that. Um, I was going to say the save rooms in Resident Evil, but yes, same energy, same energy. Very similar energy because the mechanics tell you you're safe here. The music tells you you're safe here, but there's also like an air of uneasiness there. Um, I actually once made a video about this exact phenomenon, which I call like um, usually video games condition you with their sound design into, you know, emotions that are appropriate for what happens. Like if you, for example, get like... Um, like a like a level up or something. You get usually right. something that right, is right. empowering or motivating, uh, that kind of stuff. And it conditions you to trigger these emotions immediately through an audio visual or audio cue. Mm -hmm. And um, these kinds of um, refuges, like the Tristram and Diablo, or like the Super Metroid save room theme, or also Resident Evil, also has like this eerie air about it. It conditions you to feel a positive emotion, like. There's a German word of Geborgenheit, which is like you, you feel kind of safe and, and protected mm -hmm, and comforted. Mm -hmm. But also still a little on edge, a little uneasy. But it, condi it conditions us exactly with, with a medium that, that conveys unease. So it kind of, it really confuses your inner world of feelings. You're, you get really conditioned to feel uneasy while safe. And I think that it says a lot about the philosophy of this game. Yes. You're never safe. You're always, you're in a dangerous place and you always need to be on edge. Exactly, yeah. So you approach this cathedral and um, 
here we get the first procedural element of the game because depending like the game every time you start there's like a seed being you know a die roll cast and the entire dungeon 16 levels down gets randomly generated and um, in some playthroughs you see like a dying soldier lying in front of the cathedral and you can mm -hmm. talk to him and she says like please listen to me the archbishop lazarus he led us down here to find the lost prince Bastard led us into a trap. Now everyone is dead, killed by a demon he called the Butcher. Avenge us! Find this Butcher and slay him, so that our souls may finally rest. And so this soldier dying there... It the Butcher! Only, uh... Yes, he only lays there if this iconic enemy, the Butcher, is in this run. Um, if the soldier doesn't lay there, then you won't in, uh, encounter the butcher in this playthrough. And I think there is another one, like if the if the um, the fountain next to the wise man, the Deckard Cain, uh, is like yellow tinted, then there is like a little mini quest later on. Yes, there's all sorts of quests and enemy types, and you know all of these little goodies, treasures, you know unique treasures. There's all these elements of randomness that you just might not see, depending mm -hmm. on which kind of dungeon gets generated for you. So talk about replayability, right? Like you're so incentivized to like, oh, I'm gonna check it out as another class because there might be all sorts of stuff I never, I didn't even see. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's just what I wanted to say. Like replayability is quite high in Diablo, and I. It's kind of also designed for that. And it's also like there's different enemy types that you sometimes don't see on... Uh, like you, you won't see every enemy type in one run. Uh, you probably need three or four to, you know, have the die roll cast all of well, them. that's that's what when I um the the quest you were talking about where the well turns brackish and you've got to go mm -hmm. down into the caves and find like the source of what's polluting the water that tripped yeah. me out because I had played and beaten the original Diablo several times you know back in the day I had never triggered that I had never that triggered that cool. like beating the game like I think at least once is each class like never happened for me so I I had to like when that happened I was like what is this is this is this version different like where did this quest come from I'm like <laughs> going up online like yeah, did we get Hellfire somehow like is this from the play PlayStation version, like what the heck is mm. this? And no, it's Hellfire, just by the way, is uh, the right, right. add-on to Diablo, developed by a completely different studio later on, by Sierra actually. Yeah. Um, oh. So, yeah. Uh, so, a perfect example of what we're talking about here, right? Like yes. you, I was tripped out playing this game 20 years later because. Uh, literally a quest I I thought I had like played everything there was to play in the game when I played it the last time around but here we are a quest line that I didn't even know existed that oh my gosh this game can still surprise me after all these mm -hmm. years yeah exactly that's um how was it for me I think when I approached it I was like for I don't know if I ever finished it with the um sorcerer but this time I play the sorcerer because back in the day I was always like the the brute I always pick the warrior and um, to put these classes a little bit in in perspective they're very straightforward and kind of what you expect like the warrior is the one who is really the, the strongest up front uh, right. like in the beginning he can just hack people to uh, or enemies to pulp with his sword and shield melee weapons so he's and like heavy armor very melee focused and um, he for him it gets really d more difficult later on because he just needs more brute force to to kill them, while the rogue is kind of like an in-between thing, is a very tactical character. Um, and the magician is kind of, starts out as a little bit like 
a, a weak character with not too strong magic and his his uh, physical blunt force is really not strong at all. He uses use magic staves that can, you know, shoot fireballs and they're quite weak in the beginning. So he's difficult early on and he gets really strong out back. So that's the, the three main characters. And then let's go down into the cathedral. Like we've been talking almost an hour now right. and we haven't even entered the cathedral. Let's, let's so. talk about the dang game. Let's talk yeah, about the God dang, freaking the dang gameplay. So yeah, you, uh, you know, you enter this cathedral and immediately... You know, before you take any steps, you're in a spooky crypt. It's all stone mausoleums, dark dripping. The smell you know. of death surrounds you. Yes, yeah, yeah. Your water dripping from the ceiling somewhere off in the distance, the flapping of bat wings somewhere. You know, you can't see more than 15 feet in front of your character. Like, immediately, before you take any steps, you're in a dark, spooky place. And then pretty much as soon as you start moving, it does not. you don't have a very long period to just explore and feel around. Like, within mm -hmm. a couple seconds, you are immediately set upon by hordes of enemies. The hordes yep. of hell, literally. Just skeletons and little imp demons just yes. come clawing at you. Creatures out of your nightmares just immediately trying to overwhelm you. Like, it is, it is genuine. Like, until you get used to it, like, it's actually a little bit scary at first. Like, yeah. not like a horror horror game but like it's so unsettling and you're so not used to like eerie, yeah. being eerie. startled and overwhelmed by all these enemies you don't get like the jump scares but you get a genuine no. sense of like fight or flight panic like you start to really feel like oh my god my ass is about to be grass huh? and that can definitely happen there there's like something to diablo why you have like this you know this isometric like top-down view from like f roughly 45 degree angle and um the game is kind of tile-based. It's also something we got to talk about, which is probably oh, yeah. one of my yeah, biggest yeah. Nit nitpicks with the game. I, I think we definitely should do, like, later on, because it's, it's pretty clear that we both really love and enjoy this game and still do. But I think we should do, like, a devil's advocate uh, thing where we just just nitpick about the things that annoyed us, right? I, I This really game's a bunch that. of diarrhea dookie. <laughs> What, they make you have to like go back to the town so often. I hate it when games waste my time. Get with what it, game were designers. They thinking, huh? That's just going immediately going for the low hanging fruit, the AVGN joke. I I mean I did I gotta do my outraged gamer character. I got a whole persona go. behind this. What am I? I gotta I gotta like be consistent with my in universe <laughs> theming here. Anyway, I'm sorry. That's a whole tangent. Let's uh let's stay let's stay so, focused here. No, it's absolutely fine. It's like and um, like I think one of the things that also makes it quite spooky is um, I, I always like when a certain feeling of uh, anxiety results not from something that's scripted by the developers but from something that's the mechanics because mm. you could like zoom this camera out and make the characters rather small but even for this 640 by 480 um, resolution back in the day the characters were like really large, which made them look quite impressive at the time. Oh and yeah, you have yeah, like yeah. a rather close camera, so you can't see that far. But the enemies, like if the if the room you're in, like you start out in like a crypt-like cathedral basement, you know, and sometimes you you often have like rooms that far stretch beyond the borders of your screen, and the enemies they can see you often earlier than you do. So there's like in, in RPGs, you often have like this tactic of pulling single enemies to have to isolate them, hack them apart. But that usually, that often doesn't work in Diablo. And when they see mm, you and mm -hmm. come for you, they're sometimes quite fast. So you, you sometimes don't have They're immediately that. on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
And um, considering that for a game that's like um, real time, like it, it's basically a very simple approach. You click the enemy, you slash, or you right click it and, and shoot like a like a spell on them. That's that's it. But for that, there's quite a lot of tactics involved in, in optimizing your strategy with these enemies when they come rushing at you. And one of the aspects of that is, for instance, that this game is, is like grid-based. You have like these clear tiles. You can only walk either diagonally, vertically, or horizontally. It is quite seamless, but you, you notice how your character always moves from tile to tile. Mm -hmm. And in this game, positioning is really one of your main weapons. Um, you are very often, for, ex for example, like when you open a door and behind that door you encounter enemies, a very valid tactic is to walk back in front of the door and just bottleneck the enemy so that you only have like one enemy in front of you that you can, um, that you can, you know, hack to bits and then they just queue up behind that door unless otherwise they would just surround you and then you really get in trouble. So one of the things that you really constantly do in Diablo is make sure that you're not being surrounded by a swarm of enemies because that can happen quite fast. Corners are great for that too. You you round a corner and you funnel them all around the corner one at a time, especially oh, yeah, playing right. as a rogue. Yeah, yeah. The game is 100% about positioning and timing and you can sort of see the shared DNA there with other, like you said, the, the turn-based RPG action routes you know, the stuff it has in common, like it's, it's a very, there's, I think, I think of, you know, a game like Baldur's Gate, you know, because while that is a lot heavier on the role-playing elements, when it gets down to the combat, like it's really all about positioning in a game like that. You know, you want your character to be as open True. to attack from mm -hmm. as few enemies as possible. And you want to yeah. be in a position to deal damage to as many enemies as you can. And that's, it's the same principle that holds here in Diablo. It's just a little more action. It's more action-y, more fast-paced more arcadey but yeah i mean you come to realize that this is it's not just a mindless clicker i mean i know i said it's a clicker no. and like you can just play it with your mouse but like there is a great deal of strategy and tactics that you really need to consider because you come to find out very quickly that like this isn't like a hard hard game but the game is also like not messing around if you just rush in to a, a swarm of enemies you know guns blazing proverbially you're you're not going to get anywhere you're just going to keep dying Swords you really blazing. have to yeah, exactly. Yes. Bow blazing. Or what would you even call that? Staves blazing. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. You really need to be purposeful and intentional mm -hmm. about like how you approach obstacles and traps and monsters or you're just you're going to keep dying over and over again. Like the game is the game is very good at rewarding the player and like keeping you going in that oh, yeah. way. But it's also very good at punishing the player and letting you know when you're doing something wrong. I think one thing that the game really does extremely well and that goes again in line with this what I talked earlier about this the sense of uh, false security is like in the gameplay the game often lulls you into a oh this is easy like into yes. a false sense yes. of progression because in in RPGs you are mo often quite frugal with resources like um, you know potions and you know due to like magic potions to increase your health points and your mana. Those are the two main resources. And I got to also talk about Diablo is an amazingly designed UI. The UI mm -hmm. of Di Diablo mm -hmm. is so optimized to perfect usability. What you see is the bottom of your screen. You see like this quick bar slot where you can place eight items. And usually this quick bar slot is full of potions. And then left and right to that, you have two like big glass 
balls that contain like a liquid, like a red liquid on the left side and a, right, a blue liquid on the right side. That's your health points and your mana. And this is what it's all about. But usually like in games like Baldur's Gate, you want to see that you don't overuse your, your potions. Like they're, they're mostly expensive for the first right, half of the right, game. Right. And you want to be like really frugal. In Diablo, you take hits, you drink. That's that belongs to the combat and it's instantaneously. This quick bar has like eight slots and you press the buttons one to eight on your keyboard and it immediately freshes up. There's no no buildup or something. You click it and your HP is right there. There is no animation yep. of drinking or anything. So in that sense- You get sense, a little sound effect. Glug, 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 glug. That's yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And in that sense, you go into these combat encounters and um, you will unavoidably take some damage, especially with the warrior. Um, with the mage, for example, or with the rogue, you both try to avoid more damage. But with the um, warrior, a lot of characters, first... a lot of enemies have ranged attacks. You just can't help it. You're going to take damage. It's inevitable. Yeah, exactly. And you keep drinking. And in a way, this feels very intuitive. You n you rarely get into that point where it's like, oh, this is so close right now that I'm about to die. But you can just immediately drink and then it replenishes you. And that really lulls you into a safe sense of security because you will not get into the situation where you're like, oh my God, I don't think I'm gonna make this now regularly. Uh, how could I pull out of this? You usually have enough drinks to, you know, kill the swarm of enemies and then, you know, retreat back into town and refresh your... It, well, um, it, it encourages aggressive, risky play. It encourages yes. the player to be a little bit more aggressive. It empowers you to do that because if there was a big, overlong potion-sipping animation or especially if it could be interrupted by enemy attacks or something, that might make it more, like, realistic, might make it more yeah. like RPG. It's, oh boy, another system to interact with. Like, mm -hmm. I'm sure some people might really like with, but it would detract from the pacing and the flow of the game. It's like you said, there's it's every much like the ui only shows you what you need to know like the game is kind of like designed to funnel you even if you don't know what you're doing like the game mm -hmm. funnels you towards the correct way to play right down to the potions just being instantaneous use in order to like there's no breaks in the action you don't have to pause you can just keep plowing forward yeah exactly and what that does is and i'm finally getting to the point that i've started building up 30 minutes ago is like this is how we do it guys. this is how we do it y'all you're on a journey you're on a journey with us the way you die in this game is usually when you come in situations where suddenly you did not expect such an onslaught of of attacks where yes. you are where it suddenly gets way too fast for you to react and then bam you're on the ground like if you die then it usually is like catching you completely off guard and that's what i wanted to get at this is the closer it comes to a jump scare that arises mm, from the mechanics. Mm -hmm. See how long ago I tried to build <laughs> it up with hundreds of meandering scenic routes there, but there we are. Um, and I think this is a, a very good way of creating anxiety in the player without it being like some, I don't know, some loud sound and some image that is scripted and jumps the player in the face or something. Because in that moment, you really feel stress. And then it's like, oh, oh my yeah. God, oh my God, bam. And there you are. I would argue there's one other jump scare, but you you know the one I'm talking about. It's the aforementioned butcher quest line where there's this big scary demon you got to go after. There is a moment where you come upon, like you, you kind of, you get a little shadow glimpse of what's inside. You can see like all sorts of like tortured bodies and you're like, oh my God, what's behind this door? If you don't know what's coming, as soon as you open the door and 
and you see this like grisly carnage inside there's this gigantic hulking demon with a big cleaver in its hand and you hear like blasting into your eardrums fresh meat and this thing just starts line (sighs) fresh meat barreling down at you chopping away at you you'll probably die the first time you fight it just because it's so overwhelming like that is the closest i came like i genuinely that i like i had to like nope out of the game the first time i played it i was so freaked out like oh what just happened yeah exactly but that is kind of exactly what i what i uh described there right because the jump scare comes from suddenly there is something that is so much stronger than everything you've expected so far and it just overwhelms you um to to clarify a little bit on how the dungeons work like basically we said like you go down into the cathedral and then you enter a a clearly procedurally built dungeon that has like um paths that you explore and you have chests laying around and different um hallways and and different rooms and at some point you will find like a stairway that goes down into the next level so theoretically if you are in level one it can be that the randomizer puts the stairs to level two almost right next to level one right there's nothing that stops you from going down into level two but you haven't collected enough experience points you know through killing enemies traditionally you you gain experience point and every time you level up you level up one of your four character traits, which is uh, strength, dexterity, magic, and vitality. What else? Vital- vitality. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So it's ba- each each of the ma- is a main attribute for one of the characters. Strength is the main attribute for the warrior, increases his mm-hmm. damage. Uh, dexterity is the main attribute for the rogue, increases her damage. Magic for the sorcerer, and then vitality is how many hit points you have. Yeah, and magic also. Magic really directly uh, goes into mana. Like there's, okay, there's also like this, uh, there's some, some items. Like you have like, you know, your item bar. You can equip relatively few items for a role-playing game. That's also something that has been, you know, really reduced down to the the most necessary. You can equip a weapon, a shield, or a two-handed weapon for both hands. You can equip armor for your body. You can equip a helmet. You can equip an amulet and two rings, and that's it. Yeah. No belt, no trousers, no boots, no gloves, no necklace. Exactly. Yeah, wait, there's an amulet, but yeah, yeah. Very minimalistic, very straightforward, approachable. And um, sometimes there are items, like, for example, a certain sword that needs a certain level of strength. Or with the, with the um, sorcerer, there are certain spells, for example, that need you to have a certain... Uh, level of magic but usually magic is what increases your mana um so it's it's all very very transparent like you really understand the system quite fast but there here's something this game is not complex in the amount of shit that it throws at you but the game is deep like it has depth because the systems Mm. that it has the resources that it gives you you can collect money you have mana, you have health points. Those are basically the only resources, the only currency in the game that you have. And with that, mm-hmm. you can um, yeah, maybe as like indirect currencies, like how much space do you have in your inventory and how long does it last you or stuff like uh, your items, they can wear off and break and then Durability, you have to repair yeah. them, yeah, yeah. which is 
which is one thing that's one of my nitpicks. I would honestly throw that out. I think it's a completely superfluous mechanic that doesn't add anything to the game and it's just well, an it's, annoyance. It's also so punishing because if if it goes all the way, the item disappears. If the item yeah. breaks, it disappears. There before, you know, afterwards, you know, you know, it just it just breaks and then you have to repair it before you can use it again. You have like this little icon in the bottom right as if, if it is under 5 or 5% 5 of its uh, mm -hmm. durability value and if you don't watch out then this item just breaks and I think yep. that's like a mechanic that they could have also cut out it would have not uh, made the game any worse it would have just made it even sleeker but yeah it's it's nitpicking right and so as I said like you're in the first level or and you if you immediately go down to level two while you only maybe kill like four or five enemies you're not strong enough you will immediately feel that the enemies in the next level are going right. to overpower you so you finish that first dungeon or that first um stage and um, you level up a good i don't know four five six four five levels or something easily oh yeah yeah easily that first level yeah yeah so that that goes quite fast and this progression is also kind of uh, a little bit uh, of a parable like in the beginning it goes fast and then you know the further you get the longer it takes even though it never gets too tedious like you still make a good amount of progress all the time that there's always this really rewarding feeling when you get this level up and all that is is like a very clear-cut sound um, and you get like this this red plus icon. It's one of the only color elements that's suddenly on the screen in the bottom mm. left that tells you level up and it feels so boom, instantly rewarding. Plus, it immediately heals you and uh, refills your mana. It's yes. a very yeah, rewarding yeah. feeling that most games <laughs> don't do. Yeah. So in that sense, like the whole gameplay is, 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 is very direct reduced and rewarding and um if i may there's there's another i just talked about this clear sound effect and i also want to go into how fucking good the sound design in this game is. oh my gosh yes one of them yes. like I'm, and right now i'm not even talking about like environmental like i'm talking like as an example here's another parallel to doom if diablo is a game where you can recognize every enemy with their death sounds. Oh, 100%. Because every yeah, yeah, enemy yeah. has a very, very distinctive sound of how they die, which is still something that I think is better than in any other Diablo. Every enemy and dies with such an extremely satisfying, squishy, short, on-point sound effect that it just feels like you just... It feels very visceral and very satisfying, and you constantly do that, and this gives this this combat such a such a haptic, such a believable and direct feel to it that you really, even though you're just clicking little pixel monsters, it just at some point it is so immersive that it feels like, oh, I'm swinging this sword and I just beheaded this minotaur or this little imp and it's like just splashing the blood around. It's like it's, it just gets you into this killing spree. Which is, I think, what Diablo in 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 its core is all about. I want to make a little bit of an analogy that I very similarly used not too long ago about something completely else, which none of our listeners know what it's about, so it doesn't even make sense. But it's like an analogy to this loot system Diablo, because if you play it, you know what it's about. You know, you find a new sword. 
then you, the sword has maybe a little bit better of a damage value, so you equip it. Or you find a sword that is like blue, that is not identified, so you have to identify it. And then it gets like these name patterns, like uh, mm -hmm, sword mm -hmm. of force or sword of the warrior, and that gives you a plus five bonus on strength. And oh my god, this is amazing. And it's a really amazing feeling of getting, uh, you know, this loot out and feeling like you've just increased the efficiency of your character and you have just like it's it's really like a like a dice roll that went when good for you it's like you know as well, i said I like think, a slot i machine. think one of the things that really makes it so effective in this game is that like in diablo uh unlike it's con unlike the other games that came after and either later games in the diablo series like even towards the end a couple of points of damage on a weapon or a couple of points of armor make a you big difference that, yeah. it, you immediately can sense that yeah my character is this much stronger he can take more damage yeah. now he's, he's really killing these enemies a lot faster like the upgrades are and again it's all part of that immediacy you don't feel like you know in, in the later like the Diablo 3 is like, you know, custom designed in a lab to give you like a very precise power curve. You're not going to get anything else but like what the game wants to give you. Mm -hmm. Whereas with this game, like the jumps can feel like you get a, you know, I get a bow. I have a bow that does like four to eight damage. And oh, okay, mm -hmm. now I found a bow that does up to 12 damage. Oh boy, you really feel that immediately. immediately. You're immediately yeah. like seeing this huge jump in power. Like this game is very good at giving this to you in a way that like a lot of uh, other, you know, descendant games from it didn't quite manage that quite as well. They can all be compelling to varying degrees, but like it's so finely tuned in Diablo. It's really something marvelous to behold. Well, here's the big thing that I think Diablo does different than almost all the games that came after. Um, but as I said, like Diablo is very reduced in, in how it approaches the whole thing. Because what do you do if the items that you got are nothing for you, which happens quite a lot, right? You quite a lot uh, pick up items, but none of them are better than what you have equipped right now. It's, it's you know, it's always satisfying when you find something that, like one new item, fantastic, right? But the rest, you go back into town and you just sell that shit away. So you get, you know, you hoard some money, which is also quite funny. Like, uh, the one of the cool, funniest bits about Diablo 1 is that you don't have something like a central chest where you store your items. So money is actually a physical item in your inventory, and, inventory um, space, yeah, 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 and and you and you not have just one in, slot. Each space can only hold up to five thousand pieces 5, of gold. So, pieces. so if you're rocking twenty, thirty thousand pieces of gold, it's going to take up a lot of space in your inventory. So what do you do? You just toss them on the ground in Tristram because yeah, right. It just stays there. So everybody who plays Diablo, like later on, when you're in the later levels, you come back to town and it's just full of gold and nobody touches it. It's it's <laughs> such a f fun phenomenon. Like I always like. For some people, I heard that it's immersion-breaking in a way. But for, to me, this was always like a genuinely charming aspect. But you sell that shit, and so that's how the loop establishes. You get your character ready, you make sure that you have enough potions to go into the fight, you fight the monsters, you get this loot, and once, you know, your potions are, at, you know, you run out or get close to running out, or if your inventory is full, you go back into town, like either by going back by foot, but usually you you um, summon a town portal. That's like a portal that comes there and that really shoots you right back into town. It's really optimized to do this. Go back out into town, you know, gear up, take a breather, uh, sell your stuff, and then get, Enjoy the get music. back in. Yeah. So, and here's the big difference. Here's the thing that why Diablo 1 works so well for me 
and uh, none of the others scratched at its itch so well for me because this loop is what Blizzard focused more and more on in future games and in, in the next games. While in Diablo 1, one loop takes like maybe usually like 10, maybe 15 minutes until you're back. So you really have some play to do. In Diablo 2 already, this has been... Sometimes it feels like you're back in town every two or three minutes. It's just like a go mm. in, pull the arm of the one-armed bandit, mm -hmm, see what mm -hmm. spins, you get your loot, you go back into town, you gear back up, go out, and, and it gets so repetitive, it gets so mechanic, it gets so perfectly optimized towards this compulsive, okay, another shot, another shot, and it works. It's a compulsive mechanism. Um, it's like this, this Skinner box technique that yeah. oh, makes yeah, totally. you just constantly hunt for the next big thing and if you if you and you always have these near misses that's also how like you know gambling works gambling wouldn't work if you get like this clear uh, middle finger in your face all the time you must have this feeling that oh that's so close so close okay next time i can do it and i feel like already with diablo 2 and don't get me wrong i love diablo 2 it's super fun to play but with Diablo 2, you can already sense this, this development into a far more predatory way of Ooh. exploiting this mechanic. And I mean, you can Wait, but I thought Blizzard was still good when they made Diablo 2, Ragnar. This is getting a little spicy. I don't know about that. Um, so here's the thing, right? <laughs> with That's my analogy. With Diablo 1, it's like... I don't know. Just imagine you... For for the first time in your life, you, I don't know, try out a drug with some friends and it's like, oh, that's that's nice. That was a good feeling. That was cool. Man, let's do that again. And a couple of weeks you do that again, it's like a chill hangout. And Diablo 2 is, is the guy who comes in, man, man, this, this stuff feels so good and everybody wants to do it. Let's make that into a business. Ah, uh, Diablo Walter 2 White. is the, Okay, all right. Yeah. Diablo 2 is the one where it's kind of still charming, where you're still like the corner boy who, uh, you know, sells some, some weed on the sides and, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's just... And then it goes on, you know? Harmless in, in rascal. Harmless rascal about In that, World of yeah. Warcraft, you're already deep into Breaking Bad, where it's... Right, like, yeah. World, it's really... World of Warcraft is like season four of Breaking Bad, where Blizzard really started showing their, uh, their teeth. And that's also the big bad about Diablo 3, right? Because that's one of the reasons why I never played it. The whole thing was designed around taking this, this uh, compulsive loot mechanism and building a real-world trading marketplace around it where you yep. can sell your items to other players for real money. And, of course, Blizzard takes 30% off of every transaction that's made. And the, you could immediately feel that this whole game was only designed around loot like in Diablo 3 they even took away your possibility of manually choosing your character values that level up yep. with each level because yep. everything just... is about loot and everything is about microtransactions and making money and Diablo 1 is still the game for me that shows how this kind of system can be done in, a, in an ethical way Yes, let's let's get to it. We said we weren't going to talk about the later Diablo games that much, but this is it. This is kind of like the it, it, we kind of came to both this independently, so it's not like we like are conspired to deliver a talking point here. But like, let's be real. If you replay 
Diablo now, it will become immediately apparent to you how creatively impoverished Blizzard became with Diablo 3 and, you know, yeah. uh, pretty much everything they've done afterwards. How everything is all about, you know, Sparkle and and the, the Skinner box loop. And, and that's yeah. pretty much it. You know, when, when you see the refined distilled essence of Diablo one. And, and you mm -hmm. realize that like, man, this is, they're still doing it. They're still doing it in Diablo three. They've just kind of like really kind of stripped it down even more in a weird way. And like you said, made it, made it all about loot. Um, yeah. It's, it's hard not to like, you know, I, I, so it's always funny to me that like now there's been like a lot of bad news recently. Blizzard has had like all these layoffs and there's all this <laughs> bad stuff coming out about, you know, problems with the company's upper, upper leadership and everything and corporate interference from uh, Activision. But, um, you know, uh, it, it was always funny to me that like people cite this, you know, this is see this as something new because I feel it felt like with World of Warcraft and then especially with Diablo 3, like it was really clear where mm -hmm. Blizzard's priorities were like design wise, company wise, culture wise. Like it was clear that they saw themselves as like a profit making entity, that they saw games yeah. as a way to like, you know, yes, they would be cultural events and cultural touchstones and South Park's going to do an episode about them because they're such big yeah. hits. But these are like huge friggin cash cows. That's what this is about. And everything is kind of designed to that end. And yeah, no wonder that like, I mean, man, like this game, I mean, obviously it's very fresh in my mind, but I realized replaying this that like, ah, uh, Diablo 3, I couldn't even really tell you what that game's about. I know you gotta, you're chasing, you're on some kind of like globetrotting thing to defeat Diablo and basically you're doing like the greatest hits from the first two games. Someone should write a dissertation called The History of Capitalism in Video Games <laughs> Through the Lens of Blizzard or Diablo. Like, yeah, I mean, they're a totally perfect case the, study, right? It's it's like a vertical slice, in some ways, and that's um, that's kind of what I uh, what we talked about um, before, where it's like there there is still great gameplay in between, but it gets tainted by so much so much money making stuff, and that's kind of what I so enjoy about Diablo One. That Diablo One is this game that you can feel that is by a group of of like passionate video game lovers that want to make it to make a great video game like literally a company that took half the amount of money like we're talking about like yes 600,000 versus 1.2 million dollars which is like a shoestring budget if you consider what a massive smash at Diablo right. became right and this is this is a company that said like no we're gonna just not take 600,000 dollars more because we feel like our game would be more like what we envision and this spirit is in so many ways lost in in modern diablo oh yeah well this is this is what we we've talked about this before on the podcast that's one of the conditions that really helps create uh, great art can be creative constraints can be limitations down to like okay we've got a budgetary limitation here so the staff can only be this big we can only work this long at the game we can only put this many features and systems in it like sometimes having those limitations and being forced designed to those limitations can produce something super special like the original like, diablo you can you know endlessly list titles that are phenomenal for its limitations and a lot of these great titles came in the 90s really where the mm, where it's like mm -hmm. technological limitations and also like you know capital limitations like uh, financial limitations very strongly uh, think of silent hill right what was silent hill but konami wanted a cash uh, grab on the 
sudden popularity of the Resident Evil formula. Um, right. And they right. had what they what the team suddenly did with their shoestring budget was not what Konami really wanted, but it became like because of many of the limitations turned out to be one of the genre defining, not just video game genre defining, like horror genre defining works. Right. Indeed. So, yeah. Indeed. So, um, how about we go deeper down into the dungeon? Like, what? How, how does the progression? Because technically, we're still in the in the first segments. Like, we we've just came to the butcher yet, and the butcher is usually in the second or third stage, I think. Like, if you encounter him. Yeah, and and so as you as you progress down deeper into the deeper and deeper into mm -hmm. this labyrinth, you know the the tiles start to change a little bit. The environment mm -hmm. changes. Like you arrive, you're in a cave system right. now. It's caves, and there's like I think every four levels the um the whole layout changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every four or five levels, and then um and then you know beneath that you start to get into some kind of like weird demon ruins and you start seeing lava you know this is it's not quite mm -hmm. hellish yet but clearly there's like some sort of you We're know getting closer <laughs> yeah dark dark energies are at work here there's lava erupting from the floor in parts the monsters are getting really weird and intense i'm seeing like actual big demons mm -hmm. now horned demons and succubi slinging oh, yeah, yeah. spells at me like it starts to get really spooky you can see all sorts of grotesqueries and horrors until eventually you arrive in hell itself you know yeah well Agua well, first actually yeah well no no hell is before the archbishop lazarus yeah. yeah yeah so you you arrive in hell you know uh and it is it is literally hell brought to life you know the walls are made of bone the floor beneath you is flesh blood dripping everywhere oh, tortured lots of, crucified yes. corpses lining the Impaled hallways corpses on spears like very much uh yeah. very much probably also inspired like like many things inspired by by bram stoker's dracula of 1992 like this iconic opening sequence with like the impaled bodies uh, uh, in front of the mm -hmm. orange background mm -hmm. i think uh lots of these impaled bodies that you encounter they look very much in inspired by that like this is this air like this sinister uh going down into the depth <laughs> of hell literally right yeah 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 and um yeah it's also like a little bit about the lore of the game because um in later games there's there's much more exposition in Diablo 2 this is also quite minimalistic like you basically see everything get everything from the viewpoint of your character and you really you kind of puzzle the what actually happened down there together from bits and pieces that you get from different characters or from things that you like um, pick up on in in the dungeons and I like had no idea about the the real story back in the day um, because the game was even not in my native language, but sure, I also didn't sure. pick up on many of the things. But actually, there's for a game like that that is so straightforward on being a, like a hack and slash. There's actually quite a deep, quite a good story behind it. Oh yeah, it's it spins its own little yarn. But it's interesting that you mention this because one, you know, one, you know, most of the lore is delivered to you either by conversations with the townspeople or you'll find these tomes on stands throughout the dungeon. And when you read the tome, you get these big dramatic narrations that have to do with, you know, this conflict between angels and demons and, you know, the Diablo, the Dark Lord of Terror and all the other demons that surround him. And they're trying to unleash hell on the mortal world and everything. But a lot of this lore is delivered to you by shout out to my man, Paul Eiding 
Colonel Campbell from Metal Gear Solid delivers some excellent, like scenery chewing, speechifying, and let's put let's put it in if if it's a uh, you know if we can find it easily, but some really like juicy speechifying, you know, really like you know, giving a kind of like a quite dramatic reading of some of this lore. Glory and approbation to Diablo, Diablo, Lord of Terror and survivor of the Dark Exile. Real Shakespearean gravitas in his voice, like, it's amazing. And this was just one more way in which Blizzard was the seal of quality because you weren't really getting this big theatrical, almost Hollywood-style presentation in most games. This was really, like, up several notches in terms of quality. And yeah, yeah, shout out to Paul Eiding, man. Like, rediscovering play, playing this game and hearing him, I was like, oh yeah, Paul Eiding. He did great voice work in and this game. I Heck yeah. Did not even know that. Oh, so yeah. that is something I yeah, definitely yeah. learned about it. In general, like, all the characters have, like, so iconic opening lines. Um, we can, like, like, let's show, here's, for example, the um, blacksmith. A what? This is foolishness! There's no treasure buried here in Tristram! Let me see that. This is, for example, the witch. You're going to hear her quite a lot if you play the sorcerer. The succubus is a demon that feasts upon the essence of mortal men. You will find that Andariel has quite an appetite. And this is, of course, Deckard Cain. Hello, my friend. Stay a while and listen. And you get so accustomed to this, like it, it really pulls you in and... And uh, the the speakers of the main character, the the protagonist, and um, they deliver some amazing monologues, or some when they read books that you find down in in the dungeons that give you a little bit of exposition. So, like to sum the story up real quick, because there's not that much really to say. I mean, you can't technically there's there's a lot written actually in the manual there was a time when you still had like a physical manual and the manual yes. actually gave a lot it more, had a nice thick mm, manual yeah there was a lot more exposition than you would get in the game which was i i read it after playing it and it, it gave me a good bit of backstory but basically you know we, we roughly brushed over it but it's like the whole thing is very very structured every four levels you go deeper the scenery changes you start with the um, the crypt, which is basically directly under the cathedral, then it goes down into the, like the catacombs, as you already said. Then you go down into these lava caves, and then you go down into hell. And honestly, you can see like I'm brushing this over a little quickly right now because we're we're in quite a bit, and I, I think um, we don't want to explain every level in detail. Like you can really play that for yourself. You probably already have, and if not, then you really should. It's really enjoyable, but then at the end you fight the big bad you go down into hell and it's really it's really like um the final step into hell is like really like a a cleft that you know like a rift that opens up in the ground and it says like hell like to diablo yep. Yeah, you've got a, you know, you're immediately set upon just huge numbers of extremely tough enemies and there's hell like knights. these four yeah, hell knights and uh invokers the uh, or advocates rather the uh, the advocates the the dang old sorcerer looking oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. guys, um, yeah, and so you're immediately set upon by swarms of extremely tough enemies, and you've basically got to go clockwise, or you have to go around this uh, map in uh, either counter, I think it's counterclockwise or clockwise rather, and flip switches in each room one by one, taking on 
these huge numbers of enemies along the way, the absolute toughest enemies in the game, you know, just barreling down on you, swarming you, not giving you a moment's reprieve. You're going to need to like four, five, six, seven trips to town to clear, you know, this bottom floor. And finally, you know, when you flip the final switch, you unleash the big bad himself, the Red Terror uh, Diablo. And then, yeah, he, uh, you know... The first couple times you might charge in and, you know, you'll, like, aggravate him and all of his little swarmy minions and, yeah, you know... you'll he's not alone. That's, yeah, he's, that's the big challenge, I think. He's got, a, he's got a whole bunch of buddies with him. And so then, uh, yeah, eventually, you know, you, uh, you learn that, okay, I can't take them all at once, just like the whole game. I've got to try to peel these enemies off one by one. And once you take out enough of his buddies, you know, you can fight just him. And then, uh, yeah, it, you know... Yeah, he, I... I I think the joke I, I made to you was that he fell apart like a crappy motorcycle or something, you know, like he just totally, uh, you know, he went down very easily. I died a couple times trying to figure out how to peel off all the enemies properly. But once it was just, you know, the mano a mano fight, he totally folded like he was not very difficult at all because the game really like builds you up at that point. You're very strong. Your character is very, very powerful and potent by the time you get to the end you know you can take on pretty much anything at that point it's just having you know learning what the game taught you about tactics and positioning and using your different abilities to like get the best of these large numbers of extremely difficult enemies yeah and um yeah as i said like the, the big challenge of diablo really is to um to isolate him because when he's on yes. his own you're definitely tough enough like you're gonna go through a good amount of potions um which is very funny like uh how it works with the magician because with most characters you have like probably more health potions than magic potions and with the magician there's like one ability because the magician's uh, level is strongly tied to mana and mm -hmm. in the end you have like like for example the warrior's mana like you can you have the same abilities for everyone but the their strengths come through the caps like the the warrior for instance every time you get like one level of uh, magic you get like i don't know one mana or something and with the with the sorcerer you get like two and the warrior has like a cap at 99 mana while the sorcerer's mana cap is like at 800 or something like that like i'm i'm just mm -hmm. guessing but it's really high so the entire build is centered around mana but there's one spell that is like the absolute quintessential thing for playing with a mage is called the mana shield. Yup. And the mana shield is basically you got like this, you cast it once and it lasts until either your, your mana is completely depleted or you enter a new, you go enter a new area or something. And basically what it does is you don't take damage on your health, but on your mana. And the damage is also two thirds, uh, like just two thirds of the original damage. And that means you like in the end i literally did not take any health potions my loadout for you're the t1000 you're yeah. the t1000 just marching through the battlefield mowing down enemies and at that point my loadout for diablo <clears throat> was two different staves because there's two different um uh, types of uh, um, magic attacks like fire and and, and electricity and you have different enemy types that are immune against other stuff that's something I'm going to talk about in the nitpicking section at the end. But um, <laughs> these two staves, one is in my hand, one is in my inventory. My entire quick bar is full of magic potions and the rest of the entire inventory is full of magic potions. The entire inventory is blue. 
it's own it looks so funny but it, that's like how you really play this this mage at the end and uh, that's how I basically went through this last level and it it's it's really about that like um, once you have Diablo on your own you go through a couple of potions in the fight like he he takes some damage and he deals some damage but yeah actually pretty quickly you shoot your chain lightnings on him and bzz, 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 just go through them and then suddenly this big hulking red giant stands in front of you and sprays like a massive fountain of blood Gouts for like six, of blood, seven like seconds kill bill japanese action film style just like yeah. a big spray he's like Rawr! he's roaring as this like gigantic fountain of blood is spraying out of his chest back and, and here forth. even this yeah, sound right yeah it's and completely over the top yeah. falls to the floor then and immediately the the credit sequence plays the final credit sequence of diablo was very controversial at its time because, you know, you're fighting your way down into the depth of hell and then you're like, oh, I just beat the evil lord. And if you don't want to be spoiled and just uh, click ahead for a minute or so. But you totally expect like, I'm going to get my hero's journey, you know, ending all's well in the kingdom. Can't wait like to restore balance to the land. But what happens then? Instead, you get like this first person POV shot of, you know, you take this gigantic red crystal out of Diablo's head and he His like shrivels stone. and melts away. The soul stone and you get a first person shot of your character like looking at it and then you jam it into your own forehead and you get a shot of your character like rearing back in pain and screaming the gem like blazing in your forehead. And then, yeah, the next thing you know, it's just you as this hooded figure like about to go into the mountains talking about how like... The evil of Diablo burns within your soul. You feel the stirrings of his dark magics within you. Perhaps you will find salvation in the kingdoms of the East, like clearly setting up. Hey, there's a sequel coming. Don't worry. Yep. But I always thought it was interesting the way that like the ending of Diablo 1 clearly intended that like you were going to play the same character in the next hmm. game. It was going to be kind of like continuing the character's story. Like that ending to me implied that like, oh, this character now, the second game is going to be about them attempting to like purge this evil from themselves or, or mm -hmm. whatever. But the second game ended up being about like, oh no, you're kind of like following in the, in the first game protagonist's footsteps who eventually becomes Diablo and they become the big bad that you have to beat, which is interesting in its own way. But I always thought it would have been cool if like they had kept a, you know, what, what it seems they had originally planned where like you would just continue on as this like cursed being carrying diablo around in your forehead yeah. yeah basically that's what what happens diablo like your character that you played in this game is the yeah whoa big surprise you know you have like this this gemstone <laughs> there and the decision to be like hey let's take this thing and instead of you know i don't know put put it in a sack or something or toss it in a river no you know what the best idea is to jam it into my own head. That's where I can contain Diablo the best. Nobody could have foreseen that that would go wrong, right? <laughs> like that's that's <laughs> the thing that I thought. But that's how Diablo two plays out. That you're basically the big bad, and then you, as you said, you follow in the footsteps. There, there are a couple of really cool uh, elements how Diablo two actually uh, resolves that. That when you play out in the first act, um, you actually meet the the demonic versions of your old character like there's like this blood raven which is which is the what yes, the, yeah. the huntress turned into and you meet the sorcerer i think oh, i forgot in, the, in the second act he's i uh, think yeah yeah right 
he's uh, one of the uh, you have to defeat him to get an ingredient for the Herodric cube, I think. So that Something that's like quite that. cool. But all in all, I I remember being really puzzled about this ending. But to be on to be completely honest, that's completely in line with the tone of the game, with this hopelessness. Oh, like, it was like always going to be a dark, tragic ending. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. it's like this this famous quote. It's like if you expect this story to end well, then you haven't been paying attention, really. That's that's how the first Diablo ends, and I think it took me a good ten hours or so. Yeah, I was I was gonna say somewhere between twelve to fifteen for me, but oh, I really yeah. took my time and I, I scoured every single tile of the map, so I really like did yeah. the completionist thing. But yeah, not a very long game. Which my God, it's like Mana from Heaven. As a, as a busy adult with like actual responsibilities, it's like okay, damn, I could do this game conceivably in like a week and a half, playing it an hour or two a day. Awesome, great, I'm in. We gotta say though, technically, the game really isn't finished. Then you know that is like one run, and the game was really designed oh, about going back absolutely. in. Like once you you finish this game, and that's a really weird decision. Once you finish this game, you can take this character that you just had and go back in. So, like, with the same items that you just have, with the same uh, level and spells and whatever that you equipped, right? But the weird decision about it is that it doesn't scale the enemies up, but you really start right. out from scratch. That means you're absolutely overpowered for three quarters of the game, and then it gets, like, harder in lower levels but you also don't don't level up in that time so it, it's not really satisfying and the only part where this is different is in the multiplayer because if you play it in the multiplayer uh, which was really an afterthought like the battle net thing came up with diablo one to play it together um including the terrible decision to make to to add like friendly fire in this so that's like oh yeah if, if you play oh, yeah. along with a mage and then you constantly die because a fucking fireball hits you in the accidentally like this this constantly <laughs> happens but in in the multiplayer if you go through it once then you can play again and up the difficulty level and they quickly patched that in with like the the expansion pack hellfire that also in the single player you can have it harder and harder which eat with each run through but it is, it is a kind of weird decision where you can tell like that this concept was still uh, in its infancy and that they also didn't have that much time like yeah 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 this is a game that you can complete in 10 to 15 hours. You know, this is not a big sprawling epic thing. So when you can design to kind of that tighter, more focused experience, it makes it a lot easier to create a really effective and compelling, I guess, power curve. I don't know what the what the technical design term for it would be, but that level of like, yeah, character growth and avatar growth and everything like that is... You know, uh, that's it's a lot easier to make that really compelling, and that kind of speaks to the whole thing we were talking about before. You know, uh, the refined, uh, stripped-down approach of you know having these creative constraints and everything like that really is what makes this game so special. One thing that I'm also you know realized is that that is also only in Diablo One is that the enemies that you kill they stay down. You can save any time, and that changes with further yes, um, yeah, with, yeah, yeah. with further games. Like in Diablo 2, you save when you exit the game and you come back in and the enemies they basically are repopulated. And in Diablo 1, the enemy the pool of resources and the pool of experience point is finite. And that's something that I've often talked about in videos about other games. Like, for example, Gothic is one of my favorite examples for that. If your pool of resources is finite and you as a designer from a game theory standpoint have an exact grasp on the amount of enemies and the amount of XP they give and all the currency that flows into the player's possession, then it is 
a paradise for balancing. It is so much easier to perfectly balance the game. And you can feel that in Diablo, that everything is like really minutely fine-tuned for a perfect experience. Yeah, and I mean, that's, uh, you know, it, you struggle with a cliche like they don't make them like this anymore. But that's what I was like repeating to myself over and over as I was yep. playing this. I was just like, damn, they yep. don't make them like this anymore. Like, this is kind of crazy. Yeah, no, absolutely. 100% agree. And just a tiny side note, if, if my audio suddenly sounds completely different, that is because I had a couple of technical difficulties with my microphone. So I just switch audio, though. In yes. case it sounds much, weird, you know what's going much on. Much like a, a dungeon dive into the labyrinth of Diablo itself, we're stealing every advantage, we're pulling yeah. out every trick in the book, exploiting yeah, the level geometry. Happened, yeah. I had like a little icon of my microphone in the bottom right. <laughs> the and durability, no! <laughs> so I had to get back into town and have the blacksmith <laughs> repair it and then put it back in and now it sounds like crystal clear and perfect. But that's that's just the loop, you know, we're so conditioned now. Yep, 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 um, yep, yep. yep. But you know what? Let's end the loop here. I think we had a really good run with this. What a perfect note. What a perfect note to end it on. So uh, what was it a blast, Michael? Gee, I don't know. Let me two hours, two hours of jabbering about how freaking wonderful this game is. I would give it like a six, six, six out of six, six, six. Right. Yeah, yeah. On the pitchfork scale, definitely a (laughs) 6.66. Um, yeah. yeah, amazing, wonderful game. It's like ten bucks on GOG. You know, like yeah. this is not. You can play it on anything. You can play it on any sort of computer. It's got to be Windows, unfortunately. They don't have a Mac version, which I thought the original was Mac compatible. I don't know if I'm misremembering, I'm but there sure. was like original. I'm really Mac, not yeah, sure. We should have done some more version. research. Damn. Yeah. I feel. Fantastic. Hold on, let me let me pull up the. Was it on Mac? Yeah, you know what? We can yeah, classic, that classic in. Mac OS. Yep, it was on the classic. There you uh, go. There you go. Yeah, I, I had a feeling. Yep. That's why I was surprised that it didn't, but probably they, you know, they yeah, add that un- later. I would not. Unfortunately, I mean, this is kind of a sad note to end it on, but this speaks to like the trouble of archiving and preserving this stuff, right? Because yeah. it's just so hard to get the game to actually play on Windows 10 and forget about OS 10. I don't even know about that. You, who knows mm-hmm. what trickery you'd have to do there, like run it in classic mode or something. But uh Anyway, um, you know, just just the fact that like this game is only we really were only able to deliver this episode to you because uh, Blizzard deigned to release the rights to GOG and somebody built a custom DirectX 9 wrapper that lets you actually run this on Windows 10. You know, that's the only reason this happened. And unfortunately, you know, this sort of stuff is going to get more and more difficult as these classic games get harder and harder to like preserve and emulate. So thank your lucky stars, I guess, that we can still enjoy this wonderful game. Go out, play it. You know, I hate that vote with your dollar stuff, but damn, if there ever was a time to vote with your dollar, it's yes, more DRM-free versions of these more wonderful classic games, please. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, thousand thanks. And uh, also, thanks to you for, like, a good talk. I was really excited to do this, and it was really good to relive this in, in both playing yeah. and just discussing it, gushing about it. Clearly, we clearly we had plenty to say. No, no shortage of inspiration here, man. Yeah, really, real meeting of the minds here. We really did like the fusion dance on this one. I feel. Well, you know what? With this, I would honestly say let's uh, look forward to season four <laughs> of Blast yes. from the Past. Season four coming that, soon. <laughs> very soon. Like it can only be uh. years from now. <laughs> but um, yeah, for all of those who. St- stayed with us the entire time and enjoyed this thank you for listening um and yeah i had a blast yes a true blast from the past till next time blastineers i don't know what we're calling our fan base but yeah that's us 
Till blasters. Yeah, there we go. Blasters. All right. Till next time, blasters. Till next time, blasters. Ta-ta.